2: And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 18 of the Lawyerist Podcast, a weekly podcast about lawyering and law practice. You can subscribe to the show in iTunes or using your favorite podcast app, or you can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. If you enjoy the show, we would really appreciate it if you took 30 seconds to give it a rating in iTunes. Two things
1: before we get started. Thanks to meta for sponsoring today's podcast. Chrometa is a really cool way to keep track of your time. It does it for you while you're using your computer, smartphone, and tablet. To learn more and try it for free, go to chrometa.com. Also, thanks to our other sponsor of today's podcast, Ruby Receptionists. Sign up for a free trial at callruby.com lawyerist, and Ruby will answer your phones for free for two weeks. If you decide to become a customer, Ruby will waive the setup fee. So thanks to both of those for sponsoring our
2: podcast. So Sam, you just finished writing a new lawyerist white paper about computer security tips for lawyers. Tell us more about that. I'm pretty
1: excited about it, actually. I set out to write kind of a you know five or 10 page white paper with some tips to help lawyers go from where we think they are to where we think they ought to be in a relatively short amount of time. So the idea was to take lawyers from about a D minus on computer security to a good solid B uh, with some relatively uncontroversial uh, and easy to implement security tips. And so it wound up being pretty thorough. Uh, I think it's going to clock in at over 30 pages, but I think you'll be able to sit down and do all of it and implement all of the tips or at least get a good start on them within
2: a, uh, with an hour and time to spare. So, And what lawyers do you think are currently at a D-? minus?
1: Most? <laughs> I mean, you know, we recently went to ABA Tech Show where we got that just eye-popping statistic that 70% of lawyers think they aren't using any web-based services when 100% of them are. And so... Uh, uh, my guess is that seventy percent of lawyers are at about a D T- minus or worse, and uh, there's a decent chance a good portion of the rest could use some of the tips in this white paper too. So.
2: Okay, so it's four tips to get you up to a B. How tech savvy does someone have to be to actually implement this stuff?
1: Not at all. This is beginner stuff. Um, you know, the the first tip uh, I'll I'll talk about the first one, which is encryption, and. As soon as I say encryption, I know people's eyes glaze over and they start to shut down. But three clicks—I'm asking you to take three clicks with your mouse to go from—you know—I think just implementing that one tip will take you up to a good solid C plus because it makes just a massive difference in your security. And it's really—I think it's just three clicks of your mouse in either Windows or uh, or on a Mac, and so. All of the tips are like that. This is really simple, basic stuff that is totally unreasonable for you not to be doing. But nobody's really showed you how to do it yet. And so I'm just going to show you how to do it. And boom, you can start sleeping easier.
2: See, you sound really enthusiastic about this and like you've got me sold. But this now makes me want us to do like some sort of TV infomercial where somebody stupidly spills their uh, popcorn in their lap (laughs) because they're pretending to trip and... One, one of those infomercials. Yeah. Can we do that?
1: Uh, let's not. <laughs> but I mean, that, I guess part of what frustrates me when, I, when we talk about computer security and technology competence and stuff is that a lot of the stuff is really easy, but people just don't know it. And so I'm just trying to show people how easy it can be. So I, yeah, if we need to do an infomercial, we totally can, but hopefully not.
2: But if we do, it has to have one of those scenes where life is so hard that I can't even hold my popcorn <laughs> and my soda in my lap at the same time.
1: I love those.
2: <laughs> okay,
1: let's do it. Okay.
2: <laughs> so today's episode
1: is Shannon Hoagland, and Orlando solo in commercial real estate. She's a former big firm partner, and she has a unique and interesting approach to doing networking events with clients. I think you're going to like this, so listen in. Hi, Shannon.
0: Hi, Sam. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well. Thank you for agreeing to be on our podcast. And as is my tradition, I'm going to ask you to give your own bio by way of introduction.
0: Be happy to do that. Thanks for having me. So, I am Shannon Hoagland. I am the owner of Hoagland Law, which is a small boutique real estate firm. We are based in sunny Orlando, Florida, but about half of my clients are up in Chile, Minnesota. We focus on commercial real estate with an emphasis on nonprofits, but I do everything from right now I've got hotel development projects, multi-family development projects shopping center projects, and then a lot of nonprofit work. So I represent Goodwill in both Minnesota and in Florida. And I've got some summer camps, some supportive housing, all sorts of um, anything that touches the dirt, basically.
1: Wow. So how long have you been doing that for?
0: I have had my own practice since 2011. Okay. But I've been in practice since the late 90s. Since, uh, I think, 97 or 98 I graduated.
1: Okay. So how does one end up with a two-state practice split between Florida and Minnesota.
0: I took a bit of a circular route to get here. I know a lot of people graduate from law school and jump to solo practice, and I kind of took this, let me try everything before I get there. Um, So I went to school in Minnesota and clerked for the Supreme Court there for a year, and then was at Leonard Street Diner for years, was a partner in the real estate group, And had a lot of success in marketing and very wonderful practice there, but realized that at some point you sort of tip where you're no longer eligible, basically, for in-house jobs because you make too much money. Mm -hmm. So I was at that tipping point and had all these friends chirping in my ears telling me, you have to go in-house, you have to go in-house, it's the best life ever. (laughs) So got a bit of an unsolicited offer to join Wyndham, which is the hotel and timeshare company. So, joined Wyndham, who is based in Orlando, Florida, and moved to Florida for that job. I was the uh, vice president of legal, responsible for resort acquisition and development for North America and the Caribbean. <laughs> so, kind of the, the best job, it was a fabulous job. Um, yeah. But, realized pretty quickly that I missed the flexibility and control that comes with having your own practice and having your own clients and being able to manage your own schedule and workload in life a little bit more than you can.
1: How did you maintain your contacts back in Minnesota that whole time?
0: Because they're my friends. And that's okay. a little bit of what we're going to talk about today is the fact that if you have great clients, entertaining them is a little bit deeper than let's go drink wine together in a big room full of strangers none of us know. And so because I'd had so many clients for 10 or more years, when I moved that, that was the hardest part, honestly, of leaving the firm, leaving all of my partners and my clients behind. And so, obviously, I just kept in touch with these people. After 10 years, they're my friends. I know them. I know their kids. I know their spouses. And so, when I thought, gosh, I might want to go back to private practice, I'm talking to my friends, and they're all going, can we hire you? Can we hire you? Can we hire you?
1: So, what was the gap there? You were at in-house for how long?
0: Three years. Three years.
1: Okay. And so, then you decided to go out on your own, and you... you you reached out to those people how did that work
0: yeah and it wasn't even as much of reaching out to them as it was just some of them would come down here for vacation and we would be visiting and actually a couple of them ended up that way we're sitting by the hotel pool and they're like how's the job i'm like you know i'm thinking i might go back to private practice and (laughs) it really was that um that sort of long-term camaraderie with these folks that made it possible i think for me to go so easily back into private practice and to be able to, to maintain those relationships throughout whatever absence I had. You know, three years isn't that long of a time, but I also feel like had it been eight years, I still would have had the same good relationships with these people and they still would have been there to support me.
1: Okay. So, so you, you hinted at it and what we wanted to talk about today is you have some creative ideas about how to entertain clients. So... Uh, Should we segue into that by hitting on your three rules of effective marketing?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I have kind of three rules, and and they're admittedly kind of stupid rules, but the first is it has to be fun. The second is you have to be doing what you want to be doing, and the third is you have to be with who you want to be with. And I'll tell you a little bit about kind of how I came up with them, and the, the primary sort of driver for my interest in marketing had very little to do with wanting to market and much more to do with wanting the law firm to fund my social life. So, (laughs) (laughs) at the firm, we're told all the time, you need to market, you need to market, you need to market. I grew up poor. I didn't know a business owner. I didn't know a lawyer until I stepped foot in my first contracts class I, I had never known a lawyer or anybody who might ever hire a lawyer except maybe for a personal bankruptcy case those are the people I knew Right. and since I knew I didn't want to do bankruptcy I figured I, I can't market and at the time I had a department chair Tim Welch who said you need to start marketing and I'm like I don't have anybody to market to Leave me know I got nobody to do this with." <laughs> he's like you went to school with people don't you talk to any of them like I talk to them all the time he's like take your friends out for beer And I thought, this is stupid, but if the firm is willing to pay for concert tickets and hockey tickets and everything else that I could possibly want to do, I am much happy to convert from a McDonald's lifestyle to a fancy schmancy restaurant lifestyle at the firm's expense.
1: Well, it sounds like that's kind of, I've been saying this for years, you know, in law school they, they talk to people about, you know, get out and network, get out and network, and it sounds like... It's this artificial thing, but really it's getting out and doing things with people, preferably people you like.
0: That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And, and my thought was the firm's silly because these are people who are attorneys at big law firms who are never going to send me business. And these were my law school friends, and I knew them to be lifers. I knew they were all going to die in a corner office at Dorsey and Whitney and Peggy <laughs> and Benson and everything. I'm like, they're lifers. They're not going anywhere, and they're not sending work to a letter to tr- niner. That's not how it works. And, you know, fortunately, Tim had a little more experience than I did, and he said, they're not going to be there for the rest of their lives. They're going to go to other places, and they're going to meet you. Mm-hmm. And that is what happened. And, and so that's been something kind of eye-opening for me, is to look back at the people who I used to just hang out with because I wanted to hang out with them, and to see that they're actually really successful business people. And if I had in my 20s spent time trying to market to CEOs and CFOs and people in their 50s and 60s, I probably would have failed Mm -hmm. because those people already have relationships. It's
1: it's sort of long-term investing.
0: Right. And I didn't have enough in common with them to, you know, they're going to go to the opera and I'm going to shoot myself. That didn't seem like a really good idea. So to try to find people who you have things in common with. And one of the big things that I try to do is to really learn as much as I can about the client or the referral source, you know, whoever it is that I'm I'm trying to sort of build this network with.
1: And, I mean, do you ever reach out to just cold to people? Because it sounds like you're about to go and to describe that.
0: I don't, um, but I do <laughs> meet, I, I will tell you, I have a client who I met, he was at a hockey game next to me. Hmm. And he now sends me close to six figures a year worth of work. Hmm. So it's not necessarily calling someone cold because I want their business, but it is making the most of every interaction with every person.
1: That makes a lot of sense.
0: And sometimes it turns into work. Sometimes it turns into I can just help them find a good lawyer. Sometimes it turns into that was a fun night and nothing more, and that's okay too.
1: Sometimes you make a friend.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And honestly, friends are better than clients. And if you have friends and clients who are the same person, that's even better. And so that's sort of the goal, as a friend and a client at the same time.
1: It sounds like what you're saying is that people should craft their marketing strategy around their strengths. So introverts shouldn't obsess about going to bar functions and glad-handing partners if that makes them uncomfortable. Is that right?
0: Exactly. Exactly. And I've, I have a, one of the guys who I used to admire and watch from a marketing perspective I watched him so carefully, not because I'm creepy, but because (laughs) he just was so good at it. And every time you were around him, he had this ability to make everybody want to listen to him and be around him. And and he just had this charisma. And then after a while, I saw him at a different event that was clearly not of interest to him. And it was night and day. And it it (laughs) was, This light bulb went off for me that if you're not having fun, it shows and people don't they're not drawn to you. If you're sitting there going, gosh, I wish I was somewhere else. And that that's kind of how my three rules came to be is if you're not in the moment and really enjoying it, you come off a little bit as a dud, no matter how hard you might be trying, and you could watch. He was trying, it just wasn't working. And so it really is about finding things that interest you but that also interest your clients
1: Mm -hmm. it sounds like it sounds like authenticity which is one of those annoying things that marketing consultants are always going on and on about but i think that that's what it is it's don't don't try and fake it with by doing things you don't want to do right
0: exactly exactly and it's not to say don't try something new you know i have a client who asked if i like to sail, and i said Probably I like to be on boats But it turns out I really hate sailing. Um, <laughs> I like sailing on the St. Croix where you just have to sail and sit there and sip on wine and visit with people. Mm-hmm. I don't like Florida sailing, which involves a lot of work and your hands are bloody and it's no <laughs> fun at all. I don't like sailing. I've learned that. Um, but I do think it's about finding things you enjoy. And it's okay to try something new or to say I've never done that, but I'd be interested in trying it. What I try to do is really listen to clients and contacts and referral sources and hear what it is they enjoy and what it is, not just um, things like what kind of music they like or do they like going to the theater, but things like what is it they like about their job and what is it they don't like about their job. And so really waiting to hear the whole answer, because I watch people and, and a lot of times these networking events, I noticed this particularly when I was in health, turn into almost, it feels like a firing squad where it's one question after another after another. And I'm like, ooh, if I had had a chance, I had a lot more I was going to say, but Mm -hmm. I'm done now because you're on to the next question.
1: Or the alternative, which is the lawyer telling one war story after another, after another, in an effort to impress whoever they're talking to.
0: Exactly. And what I realized once I went in-house was that there is assumed Mm confidence. If you're a lawyer and you're talking to me and I call you as a matter... I'm, I'm going to assume that, of course, you can do it. I mean, there's a few, like, bet-the-company cases that might require a little more due diligence to see exactly what background and history you have. But for the most part, if you're talking real estate, family law, kind of, you know, anything other than weird, crazy IPOs for funky securitizations, it, it, for the most part, there's an assumption on the part of most of the world that if you're a lawyer, you know what you're doing and you're competent. hmm and I wish I could get every attorney to understand that, because then you can stop selling and start listening, and that's well, really the
1: key. I, I, I read once that uh, the the secret to rainmaking uh, was to be able to listen, to ask questions, to listen, to not talk about yourself, but to try and learn about the person that you're with. Um, I have no idea if I read that in a reputable source or not, but for whatever reason, <laughs> it stuck with me, and I've always tried to tried to do that. And it, you know, it's I think that's right. It makes a lot of. It sounds like what you're saying, and it, sound, it makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, and what I try to do is I have the memory of a snail. So I can meet you at an event today, and if I see you in the grocery store tomorrow, I will be lucky to recognize you. I certainly won't remember how old your kids are. And so I take cards, and I write down who you are, what you were wearing, so I kind of remember what you look like, and I'll write down, you know, they like. Polish food, or they just got back from a trip to Italy, or they're going to Hawaii next month, I'll write down little things that help me remember. Mm -hmm. And that way, when I go to reach out to you, I will tell you, being in-house the next day, I get all these emails saying, look, please let us know if our firm can be of assistance. I'm like, well... I don't know you, so no, you can't. <laughs> but every now and again, you get one, and it was like, oh, I can't wait to hear about your upcoming trip to wherever. I'll follow up with you when you get back.
1: Where do you, How do you keep track of all that stuff?
0: I, like I said, not in my head because the memory is, is not so good, but I write on the back of people's business cards, and then I actually have in Outlook a spot. Um, it's You can do personal notes. Mm-hmm. So I write all of this in personal notes, and that way when I forward in the V-card, it doesn't get forwarded because that would be creepy if I was forwarding my clients' kids pages <laughs> to people. That's weird. Your dossier. <laughs> but I do keep in there little notes about this is the spouse's name, this is how the kids are, and this person likes, you know, this TV show even. Um, you know, just little things not only to help me remember who that person is, but that help me down the road if I see, you know, some band coming to town and I'm like, I know somebody really really loved that band who was that i can google you know nine inch nails in my outlook and or not google i cannot uh, type nine inch nails into the search engine of my outlook and pops up nine inch nails
1: and then i know you know i do the same thing in evernote i do the exact same thing in evernote um I, because i'm lazy so i just take a picture of their business card um but then i but then i make sure that my notes are in evernote and for the same reason very smart exact same reason
0: Yeah, and what I learned, I used to, when I was in-house, I would take people to hockey games all the time because I love hockey. And I thought everybody must love getting invited to hockey games. (laughs) When I moved to in-house, I got invited to a suite at an Orlando Magic game. I am not a basketball fan. And for me, that was like being invited to a rip canal party. It was like, this could not be more horrible. (laughs) I can't believe I have to do this on a Friday night of all times. And so that was part of my realization that, oh, you have to figure out what that other person actually likes to do. It's not just what's
1: fun for you. (laughs) Exactly. It's it's what's fun for both of you.
0: Yes. Yep, exactly.
1: That makes a lot of sense. So remind me, what are the three things again? I didn't write them down, and I'm sure that our listeners aren't writing them down either, so let's repeat them.
0: Yep, it has to be fun. It has to be what you want to be doing, and it has to be who you want to be with.
1: Did we talk? I don't, it doesn't, I don't feel like we've talked about that last one very much. I, are you talking about you have to be uh, hanging out with your friends or just people that you can tolerate or what?
0: People that you like. If you meet someone and you think, gosh, that guy's kind of pompous and, or you know that person strikes me as really painfully dull, they're not going to make good clients because you're never going to be excited to see their number come up on your phone. That's really what it boils down to. It's not about finding your friends and making them clients. It's about connecting with people who you like to be around because they're going to make the best clients and you're going to be the best lawyer for them because if you think they're boring, they probably think you're silly or if you think they're too conservative, they're not going to like your advice because you're not conservative enough. So it's about finding the right fit and it's a two-way street. So I always hear people trying to find clients like they're going to let the client pick them Mm -hmm. and I think it needs to be mutual. I also think you need to pick your clients. You need to say, this is who I want to work with. I want to work with people who are fun, who are energetic, who are ambitious. I actually have up on my wall five characteristics, and some of them are stupid, but some of them aren't, and they're... Are you willing to share? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, they, some of them aren't stupid. So, <laughs> number one, and I should probably reorder these at some point, <laughs> number one is you have to be someone I'd be willing to have a beer with. And it doesn't mean you have to drink. It it could be a Diet Coke. It can be water. I don't care what you actually have in your glass. But my number one rule is if you're someone either who makes me uncomfortable or who I feel intimidated by or who I think is, you know, just a bad bad egg, somebody I don't like to be around for whatever reason, I don't don't want you on my list. Um, Two is you have to do commercial real estate. And that's because at some point people would call and I was in the, oh my gosh, new practice. I have to pay my mortgage. And I was really tempted to start doing residential real estate or IT contracts. And a friend reminded me, you have to stay in your sweet spot if you're going to be successful. Mm -hmm. So that's number two. You have to do commercial real estate. Number three is you can't be overly price sensitive because I just know, um, it, if, if there's an aversion to my fees at the outset, it's going to be an ongoing issue throughout the relationship, right. and it diminishes trust. Um, and number four is, I have to trust you. And that sounds silly coming from lawyers, because our job is, particularly in the commercial transactional world, is to draft documents assuming that no one is trustworthy and that I'm going to have to point back to this someday. But that really, for me, is the big thing. I don't do retainers. I don't ever take a retainer from a client. I don't, um, don't want to have to chase people, and I won't. If, if I don't get paid, then I just don't get paid and I don't work for you anymore. But I, I, I have to feel like I trust you, in part because a lot of what we do is done over handshakes. Right. We do deals, eventually they get documented, they get signed, but most of the deals we do are done on a personal level. And so, if I don't trust you, I'm going to go and I'm going to make a deal based on what you told me, and then you're going to say, well, I didn't sign it, and so I'm backing out. And then it, it it's still bad. It's, it's a bad feeling for everybody involved, and it's my reputation on the line. Even though you're the client, I'm the, sometimes the face of the client for the other side. And so I really have to feel like I trust you and I want to be on your side.
1: So it sounds like uh, those are the, some of those are pretty um, specific to you. Um, but it, it makes a lot of sense to me that people should have maybe not five, maybe not written down, but some guidelines about who are the clients I'm willing to work with.
0: Yep. Yeah. And I have friends who, have, who I've sort of pushed to do the same list. And some of them are very specific about what industry they want. Some of them are very specific about the company revenue and what size businesses they want to work with. And and so everybody's list should be different. I think that's sort of the the point is what matters to you, because every client is a good client for someone. They just might not be the best client for you.
1: You know, we've written a couple of things about the importance of finding your ideal client on on Lawyerist and Karin Conroy and I talked about it just a couple of podcasts ago. Um, And it's, yeah, I think what you're doing is basically, here are the hallmarks of a, not necessarily an ideal client, but one that I'm happy to work with. And that's pretty close to who my, in, in the range of my ideal client. Exactly. Yep. And it's a heck of a lot easier to hang out with those people.
0: <laughs> it, it, it is. And it's, it's easier to, you know, sometimes we have to stay up till two or three in the morning to get things done, or you have to get up at five to start on a project before a nine o'clock meeting. And it's easier to do that when you're excited about the people in the project you're working on.
1: Okay, so I've got um, I've got a, a client book. Maybe it's small, maybe it's big, or or prospective book of clients that I'm going after. Um, how how what are the creative ideas to entertain them? Let's let's start talking about that.
0: Yeah, so I think a lot of it going back to kind of the the initial is learn about what they like, and so there's you know that's going to give you ideas. And one of the things that I try to get people to do when I'm speaking on topics like this is imagine your favorite place to be or your favorite thing to be doing. So you have to take an afternoon off of work. You can't check your phone. You can't read a contract. You can't do anything. You have to take an afternoon off. What is it you want to do? And I will almost guarantee you that no one says, I want to go stand in a room full of strangers and drink bad wine. (laughs) And yet... As a big firms, that's... I mean, I will tell you, I hosted the wine and cheese parties. I was a big fan of wine. I'm like, everybody loves wine. Let's have a wine party. Let's have a wine tasting. Let's have... And, and, and it wasn't until I was in-house and realized that when I went to those as in-house counsel, not only was I drinking mediocre wine with a bunch of people that I didn't know, but they all wanted something from me that I couldn't give. I can't hire every attorney in the room. And so it's it's really this not great feeling. And so... What I try to do is focus on things that either are something that people are going to love, so the band that you really want to hear or the sport you really love, or something productive. Because at the end of the day, all of us like being productive. We all like feeling like we accomplished something. And so that's where I focus most of my... Entertainment or engagement? I I think I like the word engagement a little better. I'm I'm not very entertaining. I don't sing. I don't dance. Nobody wants to hear me sing. It's not pretty. So I try really (laughs) hard. It's not you
1: doing the entertaining.
0: (laughs) (laughs) thank God. Um, So I try really hard to to engage people in something that I feel like is going to be productive for us. And so one of the biggest things is supporting their business. And some people say, "Well, I don't. I don't represent businesses." But If you're representing individuals, you probably have referral sources that come from a business or even some of your individuals. If you do family law and you have a family law client who you're representing in a divorce who is a dog groomer, take your dog to that person. Those sorts of connections make people feel connected to you. And for me, I do represent mostly businesses. And so I look constantly for opportunities to introduce my clients to customers, clients, vendors, anybody who can be of assistance to them. Um, One thing we did, and this was years ago, but I had a client who was a retailer and I needed to host an event and they happened to be a, a retail store that sold primarily women's clothes. And so we did a happy hour at that store. And yes, so it does go back to the whole drinking wine with strangers you don't know, but it was a chance for me to highlight this. It was a nonprofit retailer And so we were able to highlight this nonprofit, talk about what they do, talk about their mission. We were also able to give everybody there great deals on the clothes that were being sold. And it was at the change of season, so blah, 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 we all had to buy new clothes anyway. And so we tried to marry those two. And the client loved it because it was a chance for them to get 50 new customers in the door. And the customers loved it because so many of them didn't know what this nonprofit really was about or really what they did. So trying to kind of Find what your client does and how can that convert into something you can share with the world.
1: That's kind of an amazing strategy. You basically became a promoter for your client and use that as an excuse to connect with other potential clients or clients.
0: Exactly. Yep. And I think if we all go about life trying to promote our clients as much as we try to promote ourselves or hopefully more than we try to promote ourselves, you just see a lot more success that way. Because if someone feels like you're supporting them, they're going to look for opportunities to support you in return. Yeah. And so this is a client, not only who is a client, but who they send me a lot of work. At the time, they were one of my middle-sized clients. Two of my largest clients now came as direct referrals from that mid-sized client. And so they were out there, you know, I was out there publicizing what they do and they were out there publicizing what I do. And it's a it's a great sort of marriage. It's a great way to work together. Exactly. Yep. Yeah.
1: So what are some other examples of how you've gone about putting this into practice?
0: Some of the other things. I'm a big fan of do something. They talk about if you want to connect with teenage boys. I read this somewhere. If you want to connect with a teenage boy, you have to have a project. You can't sit down at a table and say, let's talk. You have to be working on a car or fishing or hunting. You have to be doing something and then you can't get them to shut up. I think the same is true of a lot so of people right, the I think way. you have to be <laughs> if, it's, you know, if you say let's talk they're gonna go mm, and make that grunt sound okay. and I think clients do the same thing they might not grunt at you the way a teenager would but they they kind of they don't want to just look at you and talk because that's weird
1: mm-hmm. and
0: so I try hard to find things that are going to be productive and a lot of what I do is with charities. And so there's a lot of things that are already set up. So one of my favorite things we used to do at Leonard Street and Diner is a program called Hearts and Hammers. And we represented a lot of construction contractors. And Hearts and Hammers goes around to individual senior houses. And it's one Saturday a year, and they do probably 25 houses. And so you walk in, and it's the people from the law firm and the people from two or three of the contractors, and you basically... you repaint and you fix things and you relandscape and you just do a ton of stuff on this one person's house. And it's a great way, you know, the contractors, I think sometimes feel like we're always the boss of them and we're always telling them what they can and can't do. And it's a wonderful way for them to tip the scales a little bit when we're trying to paint and they're like, oh my gosh, you are so bad at this. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's kind of a fun, a fun way to work with different people. And at the end you step back and you have this homeowner who's in their 80s and they're in tears and they're so appreciative and you feel like, yeah, that was a good use of my day. That was better than sitting in a room drinking wine with strangers. Mm-hmm. Um. And, Our firm, this past year, was the first year we've done it, and I think it's going to be an ongoing tradition, but we actually did um, adopt a senior, and so our firm got the names from one of the senior um, agencies of 75 senior citizens name and wish list. And so everybody got to do it. It's kind of like the angel tree for kids, except for seniors who are alone at the holidays. And so with clients and vendors and different um, folks in the community, we adopted out all of these names and everybody took a name and bought presents. And then we had a huge gift wrapping party. So, everybody got to come together and wrap presents, and it was a huge success, and some people just were able to buy a gift and drop it off. Some people just gave us money, but a lot of people came to this wrapping event that ended up being just a lot of fun. Um, and along the same lines, when I was in Minnesota, we did a wrapping event at... It was, it was actually at our house. We had The Minnesota house has this gigantic kitchen. It's funny, Mm -hmm. the the kitchen is the biggest room in the house by far. And everybody on a Friday, right before Christmas, would come to our house at 2 o'clock and wrap gifts for their kids. Hmm. So these were all, you know, moms and dads with little kids and mid-sized kids. And they didn't have a place to go where they could wrap presents. And so it turned into this big shopping day where all the parents would take Friday off of work and then they'd show up at the house at 2 and we all wrap and it was a great way for everybody to get to know each other. And a lot of them already had some tangential contact because their kids would play hockey together or something like that. But you'd come up with this, this real solid camaraderie that was created through that. So I try to find something either that's going to help the world or that's going to help the people who are coming to it, one or the other. So it, it either needs to be we accomplished something for someone else or I got something crossed off my to-do list. Those are, are the two <laughs> big buckets for me. Um,
1: that- yeah, it sounds like you're coming up with ideas for things that you want to do to that would be fun for you or that would help your community or that would be just generally good things and then you're trying to fit clients or potential clients or friends into those things. Exactly.
0: Yep. And then, again, it goes back to it has to be fun for me or else I'm going to be sitting there going... Yay! Go Orlando Magic! I can't believe I had to spend a Friday doing this. Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> if, if you are fun and enthusiastic about something, everybody else who comes will be, too. It, and it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be something that takes a long time. I have a friend who did a one-time-only book club. There was a book that everybody was talking about. This was years ago. I can't remember what book it was, but everybody was talking about this book. Because those of us who hadn't read it felt like idiots. And somebody's like, I had to read it because my book club did it. That's the only reason I read it. (laughs) We should do a book club, so we read this book. And we did. She did a one-time-only book club, and it turned into a every-now-again and book club. So if if it's this group of 10 or 12 people, and every time one of them is like, I really want to read this book, they'll just send out an email and say, okay, this is the book I'm going to read next. And if you want, we're going to do book club on this day. And it, it gets you it was kind of this funny, it started as a very funny thing and it's kind of become an impetus for people to start reading again. So you can find things that are on the very high things I want to do, but don't necessarily have to do list. And that works too. But if it's just something that's a way to kill a few hours, people really don't want to kill a few hours because very few of us have extra hours in our lives to wait.
1: waste. Well, I mean, the, the traditional approach is basically, I mean, you said it a few times, it's, let's get together and have a scotch tasting or let's get together and do a wine and cheese thing. And it's like, you know, there's not much difference between standing around in a room and standing out around in a room with a glass of wine in your hands. It doesn't automatically make things more interesting. It makes conversation maybe a little bit easier, but not a whole lot. Exactly. You're saying let's find other things to do and we might have coffee or wine along, but that's not the point of the gathering. The point is to get something done and chat along the way.
0: Exactly. And, and I think it just makes it... You can only talk about the wine you're drinking for... I don't know. I, I, if, if I'm good, I've got a, two sentences I can come up with about any one wine. And after that, I have nothing more to say. And so, particularly for introverts, which a lot of the people who I know who are in leadership roles actually are introverts. And so, for them to stand in that room, it's not just boring. It's kind of painful and really uncomfortable. And if you can find something that they, they can be doing so they don't have to necessarily be on, you know, I can be painting. I don't have to be talking to everybody. Right. I can talk for the five minutes while I'm getting coffee or I can talk while I'm painting sort of like the teenage boy, you know, it's, it's, it's,
1: well, you're, you're also providing the converse- conversation topics, right? Like exactly. if, you, if you're building a house, you have pass me the nail, you know, can you hold this board in place? You got all kinds of conversation that you have provided by making that the activity.
0: Right. And over time, you know, if you work with somebody for an hour or two, something funny is going to happen, and then you have this little joke together, and, you know, you're going to spill paint on someone, which I actually had that happen at Hearts and Hammers. I was not the spiller, thank God. Um, But somebody spilled a whole paint can of paint on somebody, and and I think to this day, 15 years later, we still laugh about it because it was really funny. That's awesome. Um,
1: (laughs) You know, I I read recently that uh, there's sort of a confirmation bias inherent in doing favors for people. And so the more if you do a favor for somebody once, you're more likely to do it again. And um, I wonder if that even translates to small things like, hey, can you pass me that hammer? Or, you know, hey, um, what do you think I look like in this dress? Or can you can you go get me another size shouted from the change groomers? Like, I just wonder, are you by being doing all those things together? Are you sort of making it? Well, you obviously you're making it more likely that there could be a business relationship come out of it.
0: Right, and I think not only from the more likely to do a favor, but from the, I'm here to help you. Oh, let me let me grab you some paper towels because someone spilled paint on you. Mm-hmm. They know then that I'm here to help you. Mm-hmm. And, and as lawyers, that's really our job. We are really at the, at the core. We can use all sorts of things, but we're really just helpers. We're really just here to help people. And so if you can be in an environment where you're helping people, that's what your clients see, and that's what your potential clients see, and that's what your referral sources see: is that you're here to help people, and how can I do that?
1: Um, so let's say I'm, uh, let's say I'm, I'm listening, and I'm a younger lawyer, uh, or or maybe a, not a, not such a younger lawyer, and I'm trying to say, think to myself, okay, so I need to do something besides wine and cheese parties. I mean, how do you? How do you get started? How do you sort of take stock of what you've got, take stock of the resources available to you and become the kind of person that can organize more creative ways to entertain clients?
0: Where I always start is what's of interest to me. And so one of the exercises when I work with people who are trying to come up with marketing is write down five things you enjoy doing and write down, this one's much harder, write down five things you are good at. And I would bet for most people, number one is going to be, I'm a good lawyer. And then they get stuck. They don't know what else they're good at. (laughs) And it's funny, when you talk to an eight-year-old and ask them what they're good at, you're going to get a list a mile long of what they're good at, because they're eight and they're great at everything.
1: So maybe go find an eight-year-old to help with this.
0: There, ask your kids. (laughs) Ask your kids. Ask your neighbors. Ask your mom. Ask whoever, what am I good at? And they'll come up with things that you didn't realize you're good at. And so you take those two lists and look at them and go, okay, these are maybe some strengths and particularly the what do I like to do list. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be important. It can be, I like to fish. And yes, most people who like to fish like to fish because it's quiet and peaceful and people leave them alone. Um, (laughs) But there's also ways you can turn things like that into marketing. There's no... I am convinced Short of I like to do heroin, I don't think there's anything that you can't turn <laughs> into a marketing event. Okay, insert any other drug there, and that's probably a bad <laughs> marketing event. <laughs> but but short of illegal activities, there's really nothing you can't turn into marketing. There's actually you know, it's funny. Um,
1: I, I have a hobby that nobody else wants to do. I go winter camping. Um. And, but but it is always at least a 45-minute conversation once that comes up. So it, if nothing else, it supplies a lot of conversation. But I have actually taken a fair amount of people on their first winter camping trip. And it's um, I'm not sure that's a creative way to entertain clients, but it's certainly a way to share an, <laughs> a memorable adventure.
0: Well, but I would say there's nothing wrong with turning it into a marketing event. Because there's no reason you can't do something, even at REI, saying here's the basics of winter camping, or an afternoon camp. I, I've seen people do mm-hmm. afternoon camps where oh, you don't it, you don't necessarily want to have a sleepover with a new client, because that might be so weird. <laughs> <laughs> but nope. you can do a, you know, we're going to...
1: Winter picnic. In
0: the winter, we're going to camp out, we're going to build a campfire. It's at 4 o'clock or at 6 o'clock after work, and we're going to have a three-hour campout. And so we're all going to bundle up in sleeping bags, and we're going to build s'mores, and we're going to have dinner over the campfire, and it's going to be fun. And you can do it at one of the local places, and you don't necessarily have to go. So I, I do think... Okay, like, you're good. That's
1: actually a really good idea. <laughs>
0: anything turns into it. Um, there's actually, for fishing, my husband, he's really into fishing. And I kind of tolerate it most that I read when I'm on the boat. Um, there's an organization, it's called Take Me Fishing, and they do big fishing events, and you can use that as a marketing event. And Take Me Fishing is really geared toward kids. So the other thing I learned being in-house is that a lot of people choose in-house for a lifestyle. It's because they're tired of doing every night at some event or working till 9, and they want to be with their kids. And so going back to this, who you want to be with, who your clients probably want to be with are their kids and family. And honestly, I think most of us who I want to be with is the people closest to me, my family. And so, like, Take Me Fishing, you can do a fishing event where people can bring their kids and learn how to fish. Or, in your instance, we could do a winter camping event where people learn how to make s'mores. I was at a party, somebody didn't know what a s'more was. It's the strangest thing I'd ever heard. (laughs) Who doesn't know what a s'more is? Um, Yeah. One of the things our firm did a couple years ago, there's a homeless shelter here that does a big fall festival for the families that are staying in their residence. And they called us and asked if we would sponsor a booth. And they're like, it can be a carnival game, it can be anything. And I thought, a lot of my clients here have little kids, and so we did a decorate-your-own-cupcake stand, and we went and we made a bunch of cupcakes and took all sorts of icing and bought a ton of horrible gummy candy and all sorts of bad stuff, and we put the kids in charge. So, the adults were just there to kind of make sure that things stayed relatively clean, and the kids were in charge of teaching the kids who were in the homeless shelter how to make cupcakes.
1: That's great. And how
0: to use the ice, the piper, and that sort of stuff. So there really are a ton of opportunities to engage families, too. And, and that's important if you're dealing with a lot of times the people who are trying to learn marketing skills and who are trying to, to start focusing on building a book of business for people in their 20s and 30s, which means their counterparts have kids. And whether you have kids or not, we don't have kids, but it's fun to do cupcake stuff and watch the kids teach other kids about really important cupcake making, which they take very seriously, by the way. Yeah, no,
1: I mean, if you give, if you occupy my kids for an hour or two, especially on a weekend, um, and and you've managed to do it in a way that avoids nap time, you're my freaking hero.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's just really fun if you can find ways, and particularly because it lets your clients know that you're not trying to burden them. You're not trying to give them one more thing on their to-do list, which is already really, really, really long. So it's really finding things that make you happy. Cupcakes, they make me happy. Sorry, they just do. And so, yeah, we're going to make a bunch of cupcakes with gooey eyeballs and all sorts of disgustingness. And it was great. And it was just a fun activity for everybody to do. And again, it was one time. So it wasn't, I'm inviting you to... Uh, you know, an annual event. Or I'm inviting you to some big commitment. Or I'm making you do something that, that's going to take a lot of your time. It was just one Thursday night for, I think the whole thing was three hours, and it was come and go as you want. You didn't even have to stay the whole time. And everybody who came walked in and said, "I can't stay very long," and not one person left until it was done and cleaned up.
1: That's awesome. Okay, well. I, I was going to say, I, I think that might be, we should probably wrap it up here. Do you have some closing thoughts for us?
0: No, the only thing, you know, I, the, the primary thing is find what you love to do. And if you can focus on what is fun and enjoyable for you and find the clients who share that same interest or who are at least open to kind of exploring that interest, you're going to be successful in building that relationship. It's not about making sure this person loves sailing. It's about time together to build a relationship.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Shannon. And uh, I hope you'll come back sometime and we can maybe dig in a little bit further.
0: I would love to. Thank you very, very much for having me.
1: Thanks again to Chrometa for sponsoring today's podcast. Chrometa is an app for PC, Mac, Android, iPhone that keeps track of your time and categorizes it for you while you work. So for example, if you're working on the Smithren random for an hour and a half, Chrometa will keep a log of the fact that you worked on the Smith Memorandum for an hour and a half and when you go to collect your time at the end of that project, at the end of the day, week, month, whatever, you can go back and see exactly what you were doing on your computer. If you're using Outlook, you can see which emails you were opening and closing. Uh, If you're uh, using your web browser or Westlaw or Fastcase, it'll show you what you were doing on those things. And it collects it all in one place. You can set it to sort of say that this is a work thing. This is a, a client thing. You can have some of those things automatically categorized. And then it will automatically feed it into QuickBooks Online, Zero, PC Law, Clio, FreshBooks, Rocket Matter, Tabs 3, and TimeSlips to make it really easy for you to put your timesheets together at the end of the month. It's super easy and if you're like most lawyers and you do most of your work on your computer or on your phone or tablet, it just really shortens up the time from doing work to getting your timesheet together. And it just makes it all easier. You don't have to be constantly clicking timers. You can just be relaxed and realize that it's doing it for you. The website is that's chrometa.com, that's c h r o m e t a.com, and there's a free 30-day trial. So I think you should check it out and give it a try and see what you think, and I'll bet it might just become part of your workflow, because if nothing else, it's nice to see and use it as a catch-all. So go to chrometa.com and check it out
2: catch us next week for episode 19 when we talk with rebecca williams an attorney with the federal government's data.gov program where she works on open data initiatives rebecca is also active in the legal hackers movement which sam and i discussed briefly last week in episode 17 Um, so we look forward to a more in-depth conversation with rebecca about that this coming week To make sure
1: you catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast, subscribe to The Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening.